0: The following program is sponsored by The National Prayer Chapel Jesus loves me This I know For the Bible Tells me so Little ones To Him belong They are weak But He loves me Yes Jesus loves me Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What awesome news that the creator God of heaven and earth, he loves us. Yesterday on the broadcast, entitled, I Come in Fear and Trembling, I spoke about The fact that our words have meaning. Today we're going to combine that with another parable. Yes, words have meaning, but actions also have meaning. They need to go together, hand in hand. The parable is found in Matthew, the 21st chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 33. You must hear another parable. A certain man was master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. He dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went on a journey. So when the season came for the fruit to be gathered, he sent his servants to the vine dressers to receive his share. The vine dressers, having taken his servants, they beat one, they killed one, and one they stoned. Again. he sent other servants more than the first ones, and they did likewise to them. Then finally, he sent his son to them, saying, "They'll respect my son." But the vinedressers, having seen the son, they said among themselves, "This is the heir." Come, let's kill him and take over his inheritance. And after having taken him, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. So when the master of the vineyard may come, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, wicked men. He will severely destroy them and will lease the vineyard to other vinedressers who will give back to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus says to them, Did you never read in the scriptures a stone which the ones building rejected, this one was for a cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Brethren, of this I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and will be given to a nation producing the fruit of it. And the ones having fallen on this stone will be broken, be broken to pieces. But on hopes it may fall, it will scatter him like chaff. And the chief priests and the Pharisees, having heard his parable, They knew that he was speaking about them. But seeking to arrest him, they were afraid of the multitude since they were all holding him as a prophet. Matthew 21. Our actions and our words have very real meaning. And we live in a day when our words have become cheap And our actions have become self-centered and carnal. I want to share with you today a bit of a story. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I want to give you a taste of what it would be like if finally we in America once more became serious about Jesus Christ Right now, Jesus is not taken seriously in the church. We live in a day when the church is just having a cotton candy Jesus. But most in the church are are not saved. Most, if there is not a dramatic turn in their behavior and in their words, will at the final judgment day be cast out into utter darkness. It's a frightening parable I just shared because those who fall on Jesus and are broken, they will be saved. But those upon whom the stone falls, they will be ground to pieces and the wind will blow them away. In other words, they will be cast out as the worthless straw. They will not be considered by Jesus to be worthwhile grain. Now, the story that I want to share with you was written by a man by the name of Bevington, G.C. Bevington. It was before the Isuzu Street Revival. It was the late 1800s and the early 1900s, that turn of the century point where the Spirit of God was being poured out in America with amazing power. He's invited to go to a a large Methodist church, large in that day, 350. And he says, no, I need to have your pastor invite me. I can't just go and do meetings there. So they went back and asked their pastor to please go invite him, and so he did. And much to the pastor's chagrin, Bevington would not agree to the rules the pastor established, and that was that he not speak about holiness. Well, this is a holiness evangelist. He's going to speak about holiness. He's going to call people to get right with Jesus, to be fixed up with Jesus, to leave the worldly way. Well, the pastor finally agrees because the congregation is pressing him so hard. He preaches a couple of times in the church, and then the pastor comes and says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to close the meetings down because the ladies' guild is going to take over. They've got a big program planned. So he announces this to the congregation. The congregation rises up and says, nope, we won't have it. We'll go to the schoolhouse. So they move the meeting to the schoolhouse. But the pastor sent teenage boys to cut up the benches so they'd have nowhere to sit. And the school board met and said, enough of this. We don't want a meeting here that will destroy our building. So they kicked him out of there. So Bevington goes back to the house where he's staying. It's now nighttime, and it's less than 20 degrees outside with snow. And, of course, he's walking. He gets there and discovers his suitcases are sitting at the front gate, and they have kicked him out of the house where he was to stay. So the Lord tells him, follow my lead, go. He says, Lord, where am I going? Just follow my lead. So he does. He stumbles along in the snow quite some distance, in fact, most of the night. And finally, he runs into something and discovers that it's a huge straw stack. Well, he's a farmer by background, so he knows what to do. He begins to pull straw out and make a a hollow tunnel into the middle of that thing. He goes way back in it, and he spreads out his coat, and he goes to sleep. Well, the next day he wakes up, It's he was exhausted because it was all night walking, it's about 5.30 in the evening, and so he goes looking for the house he's supposed to go to where the meeting's going to be, and when he finally gets there, he finds about 25 people waiting for him and they have saws and horses, and they're dragging logs and sawing them into blocks to use for seats in this house. They've moved everything out of the house. Well, he said to the man of the house, do you have two rooms? Is this the only room you have other than the kitchen and the bedroom? Well, he was surprised, but the man said, Well, there's the attic. It's an unfinished attic. Why do you want to go up there? Well, I want a place to pray. Then he spied a door on the ceiling and he asked, can I get up into the attic through there? There isn't any floor and it'll be cold up there. It's okay. Just let me get up there. So the homeowner got a ladder and up he went. He got close to the large chimney lying across the joist, and he promptly burst into sobs. He writes, I just lay there and wept. I ignored the increasing noise downstairs, supposing they were finishing up the seating. Finally, I struck a match and saw that it was 9.30 p.m. So I got up and went downstairs. I found over a hundred people waiting for me. I had no message. I only had a great burden that souls be brought under such conviction that they would see their real condition and fly to the Son of God for refuge. There was some unoccupied space where I landed from the attic, so I dropped down on my face again, and in about 30 minutes, the preacher's son came to me, and he whispered, "'Aren't you going to preach?' There are over a hundred people here in the house waiting. I exhorted him and the rest to pray. But he said, there's no one here who can do any good at prayer. You've spoiled all of us. The only prayer that any of us ought to pray is the prayer of repentance. Well, I thought he was about right. So I got up and I said, brethren, this great battle must be fought out on our faces. I have no message to preach. You've had too much preaching. I have only a burden of prayer that each of you may be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you, fly for your lives to the Son of God who has made provision for your complete deliverance from all sin. (coughs) At that I crawled out of the window nearest me and made a beeline for my straw house. I lay on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. When I finally struck a match, it was 5.30 a.m. I fell asleep until late that afternoon. Then I crawled out and took another wash in the snow. It was still freezing, and went back to the house where I found Seventy-five people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business, some on their faces sobbing, others kneeling and praying, others with heads up pleading and weeping, others walking where they could find room. All that crowd pleading for mercy, mind you, were those saved people from that Methodist church. And among them was the son and daughter of the pastor. I raised the window and crawled back in as there was no room to get in at the front door. I again climbed up the ladder into the attic. I got on my face across those joists next to the warm chimney. After a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and said, It's after eight. They all want you to come down and preach. Tell them all to go on praying, I said. Well, I'm afraid they'll get tired of this and leave and not return. Then all the work here will be lost. Here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. About 10 o'clock, I went down and found about 40 in real soul agony. These included the pastor's son and daughter, both of whom had been testifying to being saved for several years. I could see God was working and I knew how foolish it would be for me to try to take the work out of God's hands. So I raised the window, slipped back out to my private quarters in the haystack to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized, wrestled, wept, and held on, expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found that it was 6 a.m. already, I rolled over and slept the whole day. I had another good wash in the snow, shook myself, and started for the meeting. I found about 200 people there, most of whom were in great misery. One man and his wife met me outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbors. I said, go inside, get down on your faces, and plead for mercy. Throw your hearts to God get honest before him. Let him examine you. They did so. Another came to me saying, what shall I do? I said, get right with God. Why, I'm a good member in this church. I repeated it again, get right with God, repent, get yourself properly fixed up, then matters can be more easily adjusted. Two sisters were next to unload the terrible meanness of their neighbors, saying, We want you to pray for them. They're a terror to the whole neighborhood. You too are the ones who need praying for. Never mind those neighbors. Get yourselves right in before God and go through with God. Shocked, they informed me what, what Mr. Bevington. were are members in good standing in this church. Well. You're all the worse for that. We want to get our children saved, my son and daughter-in-law and daughter and son-in-law. Then get in there and get down on your faces and deal with God directly, not with Bevington. Well, there's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room, then go. Get in the kitchen if you have to, I told them. Well, the kitchen's crammed full. Go in! Go in! Go in! I left those self-righteous complainers and went to my window, crawled in, and slipped up the ladder. Only a few saw me, but soon the man of the house came and said, About 300 people are here. I finally went down and found many on their knees, pleading. The man's son was crying as he said, Won't you preach? I'm so miserable, and I need help. Please tell me what to do. My sister is weeping, too. It's as if her heart is broken. Well, there was only room to stand at the ladder, so there I began my text. Prepare to meet thy God. I believe that never before nor since have I delivered such a message as was given during the next 40 minutes. Everyone was writhing in great agony. Some were walking and screaming. Only about 60 could kneel, but they were doing a good work. Oh, how God did send out the lightning bolts in great torrents! I want to stop just a moment. There was a woman who came to the National Prayer Chapel this last Sunday. She's been before. Later, she said, I don't like hearing Pastor Ray preach. I don't like what he says. She said, he makes it sound like none of us are going to be saved. Well, the fact is, she's not saved. She has added a sentimental Jesus to an already full life. She lives life the way she chooses. She goes where she chooses. She says what she wants to say. She is not a humble servant of the Most High God. She is in desperate need of conversion. I spent a great deal of this morning praying for her conversion. Oh, she's a a likable woman. She's married to a wonderful man. I've met him, has a wonderful daughter, They're wonderful people in the flesh. They're just not real Christians. They've never come to terms with what it means to be born from above, to die to self, and to live for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sharing this story with you to give you a taste of what real revival will look like. I said to you yesterday, the word God has given me for next year, I always ask him for a word. The word he has given me for next year is repent. Repent. If the American church does not repent of its sin and turn from its wickedness and its worldliness, if it does not turn from its entertainment and its casualness, judgment is going to come down the tracks like a freight train and the church will be destroyed. I'm very concerned about that. You know, when I was a boy, we'd go down on the rails, down by the river, and we would walk the rails and see who could walk the furthest on a rail without falling off. But always we had to keep a sharp lookout because would come roaring through, either the freight train or the passenger train. If we were on that track when that train came through, it would destroy us. It would kill us. I'm telling you, the judgments of God are coming upon the American church like a freight train. And we better get off the tracks of worldliness of casualness we better get serious about who jesus is and begin to pray we've got to get serious well let's continue the story i want you to i want you to see what happens when people Finally, begin to pray. Most of you who are listening to this broadcast have never really prayed. You've prayed sentimental little prayers, but nothing serious about your spirit condition. I'm desperately concerned about that for you, and I've been crying out to God. I've been weeping before God for you. Feeling I had done all God wanted me to do there, I hoisted the window and made for my accommodations. I crawled into the familiar straw cave, got on my face and could do nothing but cry and and groan and plead all night long. Then I slept again until the evening. After taking another cool bath, I started back to the house. And I found there were still about 60 people there. I stopped and stood at the ladder as I waited there the pastor came in and began to lash me with his tongue calling me about all the names in the catalog I was somewhat accustomed to such vocal expressions so they did not disturb me I just remained speechless through it all he finally wound up by ordering one of every one of his members out of there with the command never to return All arose and followed him out except his son, the man, and family of the house, and every other man and his family. I think there were about 16 people left. Suddenly I felt like preaching, and so I did, on the judgment and the wrath of God. The son, the man of the house, and his wife and others prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time, and that son did something wonderful in his preaching. The night before, the pastor had taken his daughter by the dress collar and literally dragged her out of the meeting, threatening to punish her severely if she ever returned. The son was too big for that kind of treatment, so the pastor had to let him stay. I slipped out again and went to my straw hotel where I wept until noon and then I went to sleep. I awakened that evening and went out for another snow bath in my large toilet room. I went back to the house and found that only 25 were there, but all 25 were down pleading for mercy except for those who had gotten through and who were now seeking entire sanctification, heart purity. The pastor's daughter was there again. I felt led to remain all night with them. I stayed until three, and then I went upstairs. Soon the woman of the house came up and said, I think I'm going to throw all those blocks out and clean the whole thing up. I am convinced I am all right. The pastor says I am because I've been a member here for years. You're making fools out of us, my husband and son and daughter. I said, woman, get down those steps as quickly as you can and start crying for mercy, or you may be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down she went with me right behind her. I tell you, she changed her tune, and in 40 minutes, she struck fire. She did some fine preaching there, too, clear until daylight. Then I slipped off back to headquarters. Now this brings me up to the eighth day. Very early that morning, the pastor's daughter got through, and in the evening she said, Brother Bevington, I've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life. I had to come here. I feared I would lose my soul. Please pray I may be willing and able to endure my punishment. She well knew the temper of her father. I said, all right, I'll go into the attic and I'll plead your case. You be loyal to what you have received from Jesus. So up I went. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking sanctification, but as he had a whole lot to undo, it was somewhat of a tedious matter. I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father that he would be compelled to surrender. I felt the burden gone. Light was breaking into it as I raised up off the sleepers, praising God for the daughter's victory. I want to stop a moment. Some of these things you may not be acquainted or understand because the church today has totally deserted the Lord Jesus. There is conversion where I give myself totally into Jesus' hand. And then there is cleaning up the mess by the blood of Jesus, not by works. This is not by work. This is by faith in the blood of Jesus. We overcome the devil by the testimony of our mouth. Words have meaning. And we overcome by then allowing Jesus to wash and cleanse us until we're clean. And we no longer walk in any known sin or rebellion. I went back to my straw stack, this being the ninth morning. I had not yet had a mouthful to eat or lain on anything except the straw and the sleepers. When I returned that night, the man of the house met me outside, and he said, Brother Bevington, where are you staying? I said, Sir, it's none of your business. Now, see here, it is my business, and I'm going to make it so. I went today to the Reynolds, where I supposed you were stopping, and they said you were not there. I went to all the other places where there would be any likelihood of your being, and none of them knew where you were stopping. Now tell me. I repeated, That's not your business. Go in there and pray through and get the Holy Ghost. No, sir, I'm not going in there until you tell me. So I just pointed in the direction of the large straw stack in the field. Wife, this man has been sleeping and staying. In that straw stack. Where have you been getting your meals? He asked. I just pointed to the sky. He called to his wife. This man hasn't had a mouthful to eat in two weeks. He was exaggerating by three days. Come on in and get something to eat, he said, but I declined. As I was listening to his quizzing, here came the pastor, wild-eyed and bareheaded, speeding through the snow in his cutter. His son and daughter were with him, and the sleigh bells were ringing like crazy. He was being sifted. The son and daughter had arrived home and gone into the room where he was sleeping, believing his daughter to be upstairs in her bed. She called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at our side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father and that this situation would be the means to that end. Remember, this is the Methodist pastor. I'm telling you, the pastors are the hardest ones to win for Jesus Go to bed, he said. Leave me alone. No, father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you, and I'm ready. At that, he gave a yell. He bounded out of bed. He fell on his knees, and he began to cry for mercy. The son and daughter dropped on their faces, and in 10 minutes, their mother climbed out beside them. She said, oh, children, children, Pray for me too. I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. The father did not get through. He asked us back to the church that night, but both rooms were full, for many had heard of the pastor's actions and had come back where we were. We held a meeting in our usual place that night. I preached on the text, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. And God gave me such a blessed message. The mother prayed through for sanctification early the next morning, but the father still did not get through. What I want you to hear, people, There's a place that we have not even imagined yet that we can go if we truly want Jesus and we truly want salvation. What we have in America is a false salvation. It's not real. It's cheap. It's shallow. It's powerless. We've got to get serious with Jesus and cry out all night, two days, three days, a week, whatever it takes until we break through with Jesus. As soon as it was daylight, the pastor hitched up his wagon and he went to every one of those men and women whom he had called out of there and asked forgiveness. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the first house he went in, he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meeting. They closed the door and he started to leave when a voice said, And is that all? He looked all around and saw no one anywhere near. Not being used to the voice of God, he was puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. He said he had to go back and fall on his knees before those people and truly, really ask their forgiveness. He gladly knelt and asked forgiveness Of all of the 300, we moved the meeting back to the church. We spent three weeks there. As my straw experience had prepared me for a good meal, I had it at the parsonage. I continued to eat only one meal a day during those three weeks. If I felt clear to tell you, it would no doubt be refreshing to relate many of the incidents which occurred during those three weeks, but I will cut the account short by saying I preached only two sermons and those on the last day of the meetings. The rest of the time I lay on my face on the platform day and night. The pastor's wife and son and daughter prayed through and got sanctified. Oh, I want to tell you, my brother and my sister, We've not even begun to get serious with Jesus in America. And if we don't get serious now, those judgments that I've talked about are going to fall upon the church. And we're not going to have any choice but to get serious with Jesus or we're going to be swept away with the world. Are you sanctified? Do you have a pure heart? Have you left all sin and all rebellion? Do you cry out day and night for Jesus to come and move in power in the the church and in your family? Do you understand nothing happens without prayer? Nothing happens without Jesus coming and moving in our hearts. We've got to get real with Jesus. We've got to turn aside from this cheap, shallow religion. Oh, for pastors who would just lay on their faces and cry out to God for you. I'm doing that, but not nearly at the level God is calling me to. I, too, with you, have got to enter into a much deeper place of prayer and intercession my brothers and my sisters we're going to have to get serious with Jesus we're going to have to leave this cheap make believe religion and get the real deal be washed by the blood of Jesus be saved by the testimony of our mouth The two things we have to lift up. We have to lift up the blood of Jesus Christ and we have to lift up Jesus. Jesus and the blood are all that matter. The full healing of our heart is found in the blood and in Jesus Christ. Tame prayers will not penetrate heaven. Tame prayers. Are make believe prayers. I'm crying out to God, asking that this message of holiness could be preached over America. I don't know how that's going to happen. One thing is sure I have to be small enough that God can work. You have to be small enough before God that he can work through you, that your prayers could mean something, that your words and your actions could mean something for the salvation of the lost and the dying. I'm sick of tame religion. I'm sick of make-believe Christianity. I'm sick of the bands and the entertainment and the, and the funny little skits and the pastor's jokes and the concerts. I'm sick of it all. Sweep it away. God is not pleased with it. God wants a holy people, a sanctified people, a people who, who see what's coming upon the earth. Of people who will pay whatever price they have to pay to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So where are you today with all of this? Are you one of those who say, I don't want to hear Pastor Ray preach anymore? I understand. I don't want to hear me preach either. But I'm obligated. It burns in my spirit. It burns in my soul. I have no option but to obey and to let pour forth the words of the Holy Spirit in rebuke for this cheap and wicked age in which we live. I'm not angry. My heart is filled with love and compassion for you and for the church. I don't accuse the church. But Revelation 3 said, the church at Laodicea was blind and naked and miserable, wretched and poor, and did not know their true condition. This is what I'm facing as I come and preach. People get angry because of what I'm preaching But I don't have a choice. We have to have the power of God poured out in this nation and whatever it costs and whoever it makes angry. We have to have the power of God in America or we're going to be lost as a nation. I don't have any soft, sentimental words for you. I know my words are hard but they're true. We've got to get right with Jesus. And until you have the power of God, don't tell me you're right with Jesus. Don't pretend. Deal with reality. Deal with with honesty. Lord Jesus, I come brokenhearted because I know many who are listening to this broadcast have rejected you, Jesus, and accepted a false... Many who listen to this broadcast are offended by this word. But, Lord, I'm crying out to you because I know that if revival does not come to America, if a message of righteousness is not lifted up over this nation, I know we don't have a chance. I know we will be swept away with the wicked. Lord, I'm asking that you would make me small enough that you could work through this broadcast. I'm asking that you'd make me small enough that you could work at the National Prayer Chapel. I pray that all of us will lay down our largeness and our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency and our, our sentimental religion that we would get serious with you, Jesus. Lord, every unclean thing is being raised up in America. While the church continues to enjoy its entertainment and its smug pride and its claim that they're saved, even as their words have no meaning, even as their actions are obviously in disobedience to your commands, lusting after the world and the things of the world, the money and the prestige and the power of the world, Lord God, would you come? Lord, would you come and deal with our hearts? Would you deal with my heart, Lord? would you deal with our hearts almighty God what are we going to do in the end when we've never gotten serious with you Jesus and we've never learned how to really pray we pray our polite little poetic prayers our little sentimental Bible studies, our positive thinking, our once saved, always saved, our lies that we can continue walking in sin and we're still saved. Lord, when are we going to be awakened by your Holy Spirit and turned from the wicked way of your modern church in America It has become apostate. Lord, I'm tired of the smug smile of the self-assurance. Lord, I cast it down in the name of Jesus. Lord, I've been smug and I've been self-assured. I know about that. I don't want to walk that way, Lord. So whatever you have to do with me to prepare me for this great work of revival that you desire to bring into America, would you do that to me? Whatever I need to lose, whatever needs to be cut off, Lord, make me small enough that you can use me. mighty God. Lord, my heart is rejoicing in your love, for I know you love me, and I know you love these dear people. Lord, thank you for the assurance of your love and compassion and mercy. But Lord, don't let us take that for granted and abuse the wonderful gift of your precious blood. Don't let us walk with the devil and claim we walk with Jesus. Lord, draw the line very clearly in our hearts that we would know right from wrong, that we would know the path of righteousness, that we would give up the world's entertainment, that we would give up all the games, that, Lord, we'd give up the world the flesh, and the devil. I renounce them in the name of Jesus. I bind them in the name of Jesus and cast them out. Almighty God. Come in great power, Lord. Come in great power, Lord. Mighty is your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that as we close this broadcast today, you would prepare our hearts to come to a prayer meeting tomorrow on this radio station at one o'clock. As I open the lines and invite your people to pray, I pray you'll, prepare our hearts for that prayer time. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I am Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel and you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I pray that today has encouraged you to get serious with God and with prayer. You may not even be a Christian. That's okay. Many who say they're Christian are not Christian. I'm talking about something that our modern age has not seen or known. It's a place that God is calling his people in this day. We need to fear the Lord God Almighty and get right with Him. I read one man wrote, Don't become overly familiar with God. What do you mean? Don't play like God is best buddies with you when you're walking in sin. Surely you will be walking in destruction. He is the awesome God of heaven and earth, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we don't have much time to get right with him. Please get right with him. Set aside time to just go in the prayer closet and pray. And wait before him. (coughs) December's radio bill has been completely covered by God's grace, by each of you who has contributed Some much and some very little, but everything added up and the bill is covered. And I'm very grateful to you. Thank you. I know this message needs to go out on the FM. It needs to go national. I'm waiting on God for the financial resources to do that. I'm waiting on God. I'm nobody but he's somebody. If you'd like to help us as we prepare for next month, you're welcome to help financially. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. This message will also be there. There's also a message by my pastor, my father in the faith, David Wilkerson from Times Square Church called Anguishing, I urge you to listen to it. I'd also love to hear from you. I go to the post office and check every day for your mail, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, two two one nine five. I pray that this message today has been disturbing to you. I help I pray that you've gotten a look at what real revival would begin to look like. It's not pretty, it's not it's not singing and dancing and shouting. It's not flesh. It's getting right with God. It's repentance, it's sanctification, it's holiness. Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.